Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts, and of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim, double I, dot com. Hey, guys, what's going on? Thank you so much for joining today. If you're listening to this on the day that this goes live, happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Um, I do hope that you guys have a really lovely day. And I want to be the first person to just acknowledge that Valentine's Day is not always sunshine and rainbows for everyone. In fact, I wrote a little blurb about my thoughts about love and career in our latest newsletter, actually. So I hope you got a chance to read it. If not, make sure you sign up. It's iamwim.com slash newsletter. Easy peasy. But just basically, I know that like holidays in general aren't always what they are. They're not always hallmark holidays. (laughs) The ones that like we see visualized in commercials and hear about from others. I know that they can be hard. So if you're just going through a breakup or you're like not in the best relationship or you're single and maybe you wish that you weren't, I'm just sending lots of love to you. It's just another day. And also a reminder that if you just feel like there's like something missing, like you wish you could celebrate Valentine's Day and have some more love in your life, just know that love can come in a lot of untraditional ways. And just because it's portrayed on TV or the movies that Valentine's Day is all about getting flowers and candy and cards and getting a reservation for dinner, like just know that you could also have a really lovely day of self-care and treat yourself to a spa and learn how to love yourself a little bit more. Or, you know, coming to well, all our, our event is was last week, Galentine's Day theme. So you can't come to our event, but there are other events around town or just like throw your own event with girlfriends and guy friends and just friends, like people that you love. I don't know. It's just like fresh on my mind. And I want to acknowledge those of you who have plans, like fantastic, but you already know that. Like those of us who maybe it's a challenging day. I just want to acknowledge you guys and send you guys a little extra love. So this episode today, I'm very excited about. Um, We have Brendan Gaughan from Mechanism. He is the guy I follow on LinkedIn, the guy that I have seen recently moderate a panel at CES, but he's so much more than that. And I'll tell you a little bit about him, at least on paper, and then he's going to tell you in his own words a little bit more about him as a human. But Brendan Gaughan, he's the partner and chief innovation officer at the creative agency Mechanism. He's been at the forefront of social and influencer marketing since 2006, developing campaigns for brands such as Mountain Dew, Unilever, Amazon, 20th Century Fox, and even the freaking Olympics. (laughs) He was recently named one of LinkedIn's top voices in the creator economy. He was also named to the Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2012, and his agency was recognized as Digiday's 
Digital Video Agency of the Year in 2017. He's also a regular contributor to Entrepreneur and has recently been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, The Guardian, and Ad Age for his experience on social media and influencer marketing. You're going to get a ton of that this episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. So I'm going to keep this intro short because I want you to enjoy my conversation with Brendan. I'm super excited to have you on today. You are um, someone that I saw a panel at CES. I've been following on LinkedIn for quite a bit. So when you when I reached out and invited you on, I was really happy that you took me up on my invitation. So welcome to the show. How's it going? Of course. Thanks for having me. Things are going well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. We were like chit-chatting a little bit before the podcast started, but... I'm really excited to just like get to have our audience get to know you a little bit more, like get into the nitty gritty of influencer marketing and let's get into it. So we heard a little bit about you in the intro to this podcast, like your bio, you on paper, but I always think it's beneficial and way more interesting to learn more about you off paper. Like who are you in your downtime? What do you like to do for fun? Like tell us about Brendan from like your friends and family's perspective. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, That's hard. Well, I would say definitely a lot of my life focuses around work in some capacity, whether it's like you know, reading up on the space or now creating content. I admittedly am a bit of a workaholic, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, outside of work, I'm from Southern California. Grew up in Ventura, which is just sort of between LA and Santa Barbara. Definitely a SoCal kid at heart. Grew up surfing. It's probably like the one sport that I sort of identify with and still try and do today. Although... It's more of a vacation hobby more than anything else. And um, I think uh, friends and family would probably describe me as mellow and hardworking. I I think that's a little bit of the the Southern California vibe. Let's see what else. Hobbies-wise, I like to read a lot. I'm a big history buff. I love Theodore Roosevelt and American history. And my middle name is, well, I've got two middle names, but one of them is Roosevelt. My parents were a big big fan of Theodore Roosevelt and the national park system and all that. So definitely that's very much ingrained in me. Love the outdoors, all that stuff. That's pretty fun. Look, those are some fun facts. I I like that you went there. Like some people are like, I don't know, what do I say? But no, those are good. So Brendan Roosevelt, wait, did you have another middle name? Did you say you have more than one? I have two. And it makes filling out forms brutal. Like, I don't recommend it to anybody. Yeah, so my full name is Brendan Theodore Forsyth Gann. That's good. But filling out forms, not so fun. Can completely understand that. So from Southern California, do you still have family out there? Do you get out there? Like, like how often are you in Southern California? How often do you like, do you travel for work as well? Travel a lot for work. Travel home a lot. Like, I, I pretty much will take any 
opportunity to jump on a plane and visit family. I mean, my immediate family is all still in California. Most of my, my older sister and her husband and kids are up in Northern California, but otherwise, yeah, my, my younger sister and her family, they're just about 20 minutes away from my hometown. My parents are in the same house that I grew up in. And uh, most of my extended families in Southern California are, although there are a few folks up in Washington, but yeah, everybody's on the, the West Coast. And um, yeah, I, I, I really like going home. So I'm probably home at least, you know, once every, probably averages once every six weeks or so, although it's a bit sporadic. Um, yeah, I, I, I miss Southern California. I miss hanging out with family and the beach and that whole vibe. So I make it out quite a bit. And then work-wise, yeah, travel all over. Although post-pandemic, it's it hasn't caught up to what it was pre-pandemic for sure. So as like a self-proclaimed workaholic, did work bring you to the East Coast or what brought you here? A hundred percent. Yeah. So I started uh, my own influencer marketing agency. And when it was acquired by Mechanism um, as part of the deal, I was to move to New York, although I was pretty much out here. I was almost out here full time anyways, and I would have been making the move regardless. But yeah, work work was ultimately the thing that pushed me over the edge. So when you compare the those two cities, I don't know if you've lived in a third or fourth city, you're like, how do they compare work-wise? Like I'm sure people listening to this podcast might be on the precipice of moving or they're like, it's, you know, post-pandemic, you can live anywhere. If somebody was looking to really like make the most out of networking and career, but also balance it with fun and lifestyle, is there one city over the other that you recommend? Yeah, for sure. So work-wise, let's see, I lived in San Francisco for about seven or eight years did a sit in LA for a couple of years and have been out in New York for seven or eight years. I think professionally, New York is the best hands down. I'd also say it's like just probably the best city period. You get all the benefits of a city, you know, late nights, plenty of things going on, good public transportation. I think New York is like really, really incredible. San Francisco, I really enjoyed my friends, the relationships that I made there and everything, but it's the city itself, I think, leaves something to be desired. And LA is fine. It's, uh, you know, it's a commuter city and you got to drive all the time. So that's a, that's a bummer, but you do have the weather. But I think New York's so much fun. The one downside is really just the beach and the weather. You know, I'm like right now it's pretty cold. As you know, <laughs> although I'm, it's, it's I'm not, here and it's yeah. warmer than it's been, right? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And uh, and it's still cold for me. Like I can't I can't stand the winter in in New York. But yeah, I think New York is so much fun. I think it offers a ton for really anything you want to do personally as well as professionally. You know, there's just so many different types of people, so many different types of industries, and you can kind of make of it whatever you want. You know, I think people sort of assume like, oh, you live in New York, you must be out all the time. It's like, no, not really. But it's nice to have options and the ability to go out and explore and do, you know, whatever museums to, you know, drinks at any time, day or night or great restaurants and tons of smart people, which makes it really stimulating, I think. 
That's such a good way of describing it. I've I've said, so as a, someone else who's not originally from New York, I'm from Miami, so I can completely relate to the beach thing, the yeah. weather thing. I feel that so much. But yeah, it's I've said about New York, like I was that girl who had posters of New York City on my wall as a kid. Like I was just awestruck and really always wanted to move to New York. I was so nervous that I couldn't make it here. But with all of those incredible expectations, this is one of the few things in life, New York City, like not just lived up to it, but like above and beyond. So I love that you're here as well and obviously have a love for it too. I also want to, I think it would be great to start by chatting a little bit about your professional journey and your personal brand. So I mentioned at the start of this conversation that I've been following you closely on LinkedIn. And I think we're both those nerds, part of the LinkedIn creator program. Um, I know I have so much fun on there and I see you posting way more even than I am. And I'm like, good for you. And you've got all this engagement and it's such a fun place. It's interesting, right? Like for those of us that work in social media, like it's a social platform, but it's also, it's where your tribe would be, right? Because Instagram is just such a wide variety of everybody, but LinkedIn can be all your professional people, your tribe. So tell us just a little bit about your LinkedIn journey and like, how's it going for you? Yeah, for sure. So I really started posting regularly on LinkedIn the start of 2021, I believe it was maybe, no, I think it was 2021. And I think it really stemmed from, you know, I've been working in social and influencer marketing for a long time. I started in I got my first internship in 2005 and pretty quickly gravitated towards social. And so that's been my whole career. But I've always been someone who's very much behind the scenes and worked with a ton of creators over the years and always sort of admired what they did and the ability to sort of put yourself out there, but always thought like, oh, that that can't be me. I can't do that. And at different times, I sort of tried to break out of that mold. And, you know, I started a blog and i just get analysis paralysis. I'd start writing and then have like a simple idea. And then I would just over-engineer the whole thing and start writing and writing and writing and writing. And then when it came time to post, I basically just choke, (laughs) to be honest. Like, I think posting is the hardest part. And so, I don't know, I was really frustrated with myself because I felt like I had things to say and after being in the space so long. And I I also wanted to sort of just like share my thoughts and ideas because in a professional, you know, working within an agency, not every idea you've got, you're able to sort of like execute on. And I sort of wanted to prove to myself, I can not necessarily grow like a massive audience, but connect with people and build a community in some capacity. I wanted to put my money where my mouth was essentially. And so I, I was thinking about it, I was like, what do I need to do to sort of like overcome this? And I came up with the idea of like, well, I'll just post once a day. And it doesn't necessarily have to be good. It doesn't necessarily have to be anything really deep or thought provoking. I really just need to kind of inoculate myself to this idea that like, this isn't me and overcome that fear. So I basically just made a promise to myself, all right, you're going to post once a day. 
And it doesn't matter if it's like one sentence or just sharing a link, you're going to do that and build up that habit. And so I started there and yeah, I've really kept it up since. I don't post every single day now, like I'll go through phases, but usually it's at least three to five times a week. And it's been great. You know, I would say sort of the positives are, you know, from a business standpoint, building relationships, getting new business, sort of continuously keeping on the radar of a lot of people within the space, reconnecting with old friends, making new friends. As a byproduct of that, I got into like angel investing and stuff, which was really cool. And um, from a sort of like a personal fulfillment standpoint, it's been really validating in a lot of ways. I think it's a direct result of that opportunities like doing CES and and talking at events and that sort of thing are a direct result of that, I, I would assume. And I think when you put yourself out there, you sort of like act like a lighthouse and you send a message to everyone who sort of thinks similarly that you're there too. And you generate a lot of connections and conversations as a byproduct of that. So it's been really fascinating. I, I think as many positives as there are, I would also say it's, you know, it can be really stressful at times. I think even though I'm not posting anything personal, it's like really much just really just like my thoughts on the space. It can be really difficult in a lot of ways because you're always like crippling self-doubt oftentimes. Like people going to think this is good. Should I do more of this? Or people didn't react to that. And am I, you know, suddenly like losing touch with what's interesting or relevant? Um, am I saying anything important? So, but net net, it's it's been a positive, I think. Well, I appreciate the vulnerability and I like I can relate to that as well. And I'm sure many people can. Like if you are brave enough to like put yourself out there on a consistent basis, like there are just moments where you're like, do people want to hear about this? Like keeping a finger on the pulse of what is interesting or what people want to know about, like that's tricky. Like that's definitely a challenge, but I appreciate the, I think it's really freaking cool that you're getting opportunities from it as well. I think it's way cooler that you're being very consistent about it and like holding yourself accountable to doing that. What advice would you give to somebody who um, has been maybe wanting to do this for a while or, you know, is like a little nervous to start? Is there any advice that you would give them just to like put themselves out there professionally on a platform like LinkedIn? 100%. I think you got to not overthink it and build up the habit more than anything else. Like, I assume most people's issue is probably like what mine was. And, and maybe that's not the case. But I think most people sort of get, they're scared of voicing their opinion and and scared of criticism and uh, being scrutinized. I think that's the biggest issue. And if that's the case, I think it's really best to sort of like start small and, and really focus on building up that habit so that you kind of just become immune to this idea that like every post is a big deal. It has to be this big, you know, perfect kind of message out to the world. Because I think once you overcome that, then you can start to really, you know, focus on the craft and the message much more. And you're not distracted by kind of these insecurities. There's a good quote. I've seen different versions of this, but sort of like, you've got to make a hundred really bad videos before you make one really good one. You know, like YouTubers say that quite a bit. 
And I think when you sort of approach something new with that mindset, like, oh, like it's supposed to be bad. This is my first time. There's something sort of liberating in that because then it's like, I'm getting one bad one out of the way, which moves me closer to like one good one. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think that's, I think that's like in life, you know, just approaching life in that way, because every subsequent thing that you do will just be better than the one before. Cause you're always learning something. You're building a callus, you're taking in so much information. Like some of the smartest people I know, they're just really good listeners and they, you know, they're humble enough to take in the information that they're given. And like, I don't know, it's just like a more fulfilling life too, to just, you know, be growing, you know, snowballing your knowledge set and your, just your craft. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think if, you know, now you're a creator yourself and if you could write a playbook for creators, whether they're on LinkedIn or whether you're pulling from knowledge, you know, from the agency side of yourself, what would that playbook say for how creators could be more successful these days? For sure. Well, I think um, there's a bunch of different ways I could probably answer that. And like, I'll I'll take a crack at it one way and then we can see where, where else we can kind of take it. But like, I think if we're thinking about creators who are looking to sort of turn building a community into a living. Um, I'll sort of uh, rip off what uh, I heard Samir say at uh, the CES panel we did with him. And I think he broke it down really cleanly. It's sort of like a three-phase approach. Like one, find community market fit. So, you know, create content until it gets traction. You sort of build a community around that. And that's sort of the first step. And then from there, you want to scale the unscalable, which is you, the creative element, you know, so you've got to be in front of the camera, you've got to be writing the tone, et cetera. So try and if you're doing video, for example, try and find, you know, a team, get producers, editors, writers, et cetera, so that they can take on more of the heavy lifting and the creator who needs to be in front of the camera can focus on being that piece that they have to be the essential element for. And then from there, I think you sort of invest in the scalable pieces of the business. So, you know, developing a product, paid community, et cetera. And so I think that's sort of the roadmap for maybe like the classic, you know, influencer creator looking to make a, a business. Was that sort of the, the the question you were asking or were you thinking more in the context of like professionals looking to, build their own sort of thought leadership presence. I like asking open-ended questions here and like letting you take it where you want to take it. So yeah, that's a great answer. And, you know, and that, and I think that like maybe to your point, the word creator, the word influencer has become more and more broad over the years, which I think is freaking awesome. The fact that like we're creators and, you know, and then, like the fashionistas of the world or like the mommy bloggers, like they're creators too, but we're all in like a similar space, but different lanes. And like, that's incredible. And, and I think it's also really exciting to know that there's that many different opportunities out there for people if they are looking to monetize their creativity or their community and things like that. But yeah, is there anything else you want to add? Well, well, I think 
if if we're talking about it in the context of sort of like somebody you know who's working in the, in the industry and trying to oh I want to start posting on LinkedIn or or whatever platform of choice and really put themselves out there I would say a few things like one is maybe take out a piece of paper and you know draw a line so you've got three columns and think about like what am I passionate about and uh, what am I really knowledgeable about and then what could I do day you know every single day and sort of just create a list laundry list of ideas in those three buckets and ideally there's some sort of a there I would imagine there's probably some intersection of those three that allows you to sort of speak professionally in a way that's really sustainable and interesting to you and I think that whole like the idea of like what's what are you passionate about and and what are you willing to what's a, a mode of like creation that is feasible and easy for you to sustain on an ongoing basis is really key because if it's not easy not I shouldn't say easy like it's it, it's going to be difficult but if it's too difficult and it's just not sustainable it becomes this huge headache to do every single day like you're just not going to do it like you'll you'll do it a handful of times so really think about sort of like the minimum viable content and start there like you know I started posting on LinkedIn and oftentimes I just post a sentence with an article that I thought was interesting and started there and then over time began expanding and um so I think that's that's one sort of framework to to potentially use and then one other sort of random tip is for anyone who hasn't read The War of Art I highly recommend you read that that's such a great book in terms of sort of understanding and analyzing the maybe like mental roadblocks and like why you are or are not creating in some capacity. So I, I love that book and I highly recommend it. So what did you take from it personally? Like when you put it down and you had like one of those aha moments, you were like, shit, like I learned this about myself or, you know, this really opened up something for you. What was it personally about that book for you? I think it's a few things like one, and I actually have a quote in front of me, but like, or two quotes in front of me. First, like fear never goes away. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> anybody creating always has that sort of fear. And then, um, or yeah, here, I'll just read this line. So fear doesn't go away, not with success, nor, nor rewards, nor age. The warrior and the artist live by the same code and necessity, which dictates that the battle must be fought anew every day. <laughs> like, it just does such a good job breaking down the sort of mental battle and hurdle that you sort of constantly have to overcome. And there's just like a lot of great stories in it about different artists and creators and um, the battle with like that, that resistance to sort of create and push, push publish basically. Push publish. Yeah, absolutely. Or as late push schedule. Cause you can schedule yeah. things now. <laughs> Which helps that a little bit of that mental battle too, because sometimes you're like in the zone and you're, you know, you're doing it and you're like, oh, let me just like schedule some stuff for the next like week. So I don't know, like maybe those little features that are, you know, slowly being rolled out as of late, like the scheduling feature that I just used for the first time on Instagram yesterday, maybe that will help some of the, like the mental barriers or like you know, just the realities that it can be a struggle to constantly be in production mode. I mean, it just, it feels, you know, there are very few people in the world that can do that and just be on all the time. So 
creators that you've worked with, that you're aware of, you follow so many awesome people. And it sounds like you're someone who really values just like learning from others generally. So which creators, according to you, have built some of the best brands to date? I want to like get to know your taste and creators. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have so many that I like for like a lot of different reasons. Like, let's see here. In the creator space specifically, I like uh, Justin Moore, who's the creator wizard. He's got an email newsletter geared towards creators sort of looking to start monetizing their audiences. And he's got so many great tips and stuff. So I, I just like him because I think working in influencer marketing, I wish every creator would follow his advice. <laughs> I love Creator Hooks. That newsletter is great. Um, it breaks down and analyzes YouTube channels based off their titles and performances. So in performance, so he finds like within YouTube channels, like outlier videos, both good and bad, and then analyzes them and breaks down like sort of frameworks of like why their titles worked. I think that's really interesting. And then a bunch of creators that are sort of like outside of that group directly, you know, growing up surfing, I love that there's like this whole crop of creators, surfer creators, you know, pro surfers uh, creating content. So like Jamie O'Brien, Dane Reynolds, Makua Rothman, Nathan Florence, Tina Cohen, Ben Gravy. It's sort of interesting. I think a lot of what's happened within media in general and, and big brands in more the traditional space we're seeing in, in the surf industry before it was like really consolidated. You had, you know, surfer magazine, surfing magazine and trans world. And like, that was all the media, you know, it was like the equivalent of three channels. And then with the internet that all blew open and a lot of the big surf companies sort of fell into disrepair because they couldn't really keep up. And so all these surfers are like starting their own brands and their own media outlets and sort of really fascinating to see that, um, that transition in another space. And then I listened to a lot of, uh, let's see, like the Andrew Huberman podcast, Sam Parr and Sean Purdy's podcast, My First Millions, Tim Ferriss, all those as well. So if you could identify a through line in all of those, you know, like your taste in creators, you know, why you think they're so successful. Like, is there a through line in there? Like, what are they all doing that has gotten them on their rate on your radar? That's a good question. Um, I think a lot of them, it's like a lot of analysis and less fluff. Like I, I they're, they're engaging personalities for sure. That's sort of, that's very helpful, but like, there's like real in-depth conversations and it's not just sort of reacting to the news out there in the world and, and sort of repackaging some commoditized bit of information, but actually coming up with sort of original thinking frameworks, data analysis in some capacity and providing real tangible value. Minus the, the surfing stuff. That's just pure entertainment. But for everything else. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, they're like teaching you like surfing strategy. I've never yeah. surfed in my life. So I'm probably like spitting out who knows what. But like, okay, so those are just fun. <laughs> yeah. Those are just fun. But the other ones, like they're, they're value. Okay, so they're value driven. They're more like thought leadership. They're not the ones who are just like riffing off of other people or riding trends. Okay, no, that makes total sense. Um, 
So let's flip it a little bit, right? So like on the brand side, I'm sure you have worked with probably hundreds of brands, maybe thousands at this point, and you know, are continuing to work with them through mechanism. What brands can we say have done great work lately that you want to like shout out, give them their flowers? Who should we who should we know about? Yeah, for sure. Well, um, I'll shout out a client who we do a lot of work with, Adobe, who, gosh, I'm blanking on the study, but there's some study out there about like best brands to work with in, you know, in 2022 and Adobe was on there. And I think they've just done a great job embracing creators and supporting creators. So them for sure. I think Adidas has done a lot of great innovation stuff as well. Uh, You know, going back to... A couple of years ago, they did an in-depth partnership with Ninja and they co-created product. And I think that's sort of like akin to the Nike Jordan model in a lot of ways, which I think a lot of brands would benefit from sort of modeling themselves after doing long-term creator relationships where you're actually collaborating across, you know, campaign touch points, co-creating product, all that. So I think they do a great job. Cash App has done a lot of cool work. They had a deep partnership with 100 Thieves a while ago. They launched Cash App Studios, which is looking to fund and invest in creators. I think Elf has done a great job over the years. They've sort of consistently been uh, on the bleeding edge of a lot of everything from creative partnerships to just social in general. I always like to think of like with innovation and making headway in, in, in social, there's sort of a great framework first, biggest, best. And if you can kind of be one of those three on a platform or with some new strategy, you're creating something really interesting. And I think they're very consistently first. And as a result, they get a lot of disproportionate amount of value from various platforms or strategies. And then I think there's some emerging brands that are sort of more endemic to the creator economy that are doing a great job, like Carrot Financials. They created like their own creator shark tank. They've got a podcast. They've got a a creator house. And I think they've done a really great job sort of bringing creators into the fold of the brand in a really collaborative way that that is, um, I think, really special. Totally. I just like, I like... I want to make sure, like with Carrot at least, I think of like a creator house and a this and a that. Like, I also just want to make sure that these are viable enough to be sustainable for their businesses. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, you know, if you're the Adidas's of the world, you could be a little bit more loose with your with your funds and with your wallet. But, and I feel like Carrot is probably like VC funded, I believe as well. So, sure, um, yeah. but you pretty sure. Um, and it's carrot, K-A-R-A-T for anyone who's curious and wants to check them out. They're doing cool stuff. So this is like a good segue though. So you're talking about like ELF. I refer to them as ELF, but who yeah, knows? Yeah, the ELF, yeah. Both, right. <laughs> but like people definitely refer to them as both. I think of them as being like one of the first like TikTok super embraced it. Like the song, I remember I went to, was it VidCon last year, maybe the year before? And like, they always have a a presence there. And anyways, I think it's a perfect segue to talk a little bit about TikTok. We'd probably be remiss if we didn't. 
So with the strategies that you guys are implementing with your brand clients, it sounds like you guys work with Adobe and like a ton of other people. How does TikTok play into your team's strategies this year in particular? What are I want to be like a fly on the wall and, you know, tell us a little bit about how those conversations go. Are people, you know, still a little nervous to get on it? Are people fully embracing it? Are they, do they have clarity on how to proceed on TikTok? What are some of those conversations? conversations like? Yeah, for sure. It's been really interesting. I mean, the rate of adoption around TikTok is fascinating. I think um, it went from experimental to staple so quickly. I'm trying to remember the exact year, but we we did a really early branded hashtag challenge right after TikTok had acquired Musical.ly and rebranded and launched as TikTok. And it was within a few months. What was, year was that? That might have been like 20... 19 maybe maybe earlier yeah it was it was when they were brand new and at the time it was like yeah people were like what is this thing like and it was the perception was oh it's you know dancing and you know kids doing dance trends and okay fine like maybe we'll we'll dabble but now it's just it's a staple and i think tiktok has done a great job embedding itself with brands and agencies and marketers and shifting very quickly from that sort of experimental budget to staple. Like we, um, I think they've done a few things really well. They've messaged the idea of make TikToks, not ads. So people really understand, marketers really understand the need to create natively for the platform and uh, uh, not just like post ads which I think is a real problem for a lot of the other social platforms. You know, you just get a piece of content that gets repurposed and published and then it doesn't perform well and people are wondering why. Additionally, they've gone from sort of, yeah, initially it was sort of teen Gen Z, but now it's mainstream. The The overwhelming majority of their audience is adults 20 plus. I've, I actually have the the data here somewhere. Because I actually just got a media kit recently, I can I can see if I can find it while we're while we're on here. Oh yeah, yeah, I do have it actually. So like, it's uh, da, 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 da. yeah, only only twelve percent of the audience is teens right now. So it went from like this niche to mainstream usage, people understanding the need to make content specific to the platform and transitioning away from just this novelty of a branded hashtag challenge to real add staple via the the self-serve dashboard, et cetera. And, uh, and now, you know, I want to say every client is using them, but certainly the, the overwhelming majority. And there, there's good reason for it. I mean, it's, it's incredibly engaging. I think the beauty of TikTok was their investment in sort of prioritizing the For You page, which, you know, if you think about it, with every other social platform, you would need to go, you'd have to have mutual connections to sort of like create an engaging timeline. And with TikTok, you didn't need that. You could just post something and it, if it was good, it'd be pushed out to the For You page and people would engage with it and you could engage with other people's content. And so it, so it sort of uncoupled the social graph in this really interesting way that allowed the best stuff to rise to the top. And I think for a lot of brands, they kind of felt like they were Sisyphus, you know, pushing the rock uphill and getting sort of um, 
marginal gains and then suddenly there was this unlock and it's like oh we can push stuff out there and actually like grow an audience whereas on on all these other platforms it just feels like it's so saturated we're like um you know we're not getting the the returns certainly from a community standpoint we we once used to be able to so i have a question so like those who are like fully embracing tiktok they feel comfortable on the platform. They've embraced it. They're they're doing it. What does success look like for them on there? And does it differ from some of the other platforms like the traditional YouTube or you know Instagram, where we measure certain data points on there? Is it different on TikTok? Basically, just what does success look like on there? Yeah, I mean, it definitely depends on every brand. For a lot of brands, it it simply is sort of like an engagement play hey, let's build a community. We want a lot of engagement. We want people to think we're cool. Similarly with like branded hashtag challenges that we've done, the goal is basically like, yeah, how can we get a lot of people participating in this so we get this knock-on effect of earned awareness and this halo of of thousands of, of people and potentially millions of additional views from people participating. And I would say most content and and activation still sort of sit within that bucket of it's a channel for awareness and engagement and, you know, consideration, but um, more and more TikTok is pushing their performance marketing capabilities. I wouldn't say it's quite on par with meta yet, but uh, the the rate of innovation is, is pretty impressive. They're moving very quickly. Well, TikTok, if you ask anybody who works there, they consider themselves a startup, which still kind of blows my mind, honestly. I certainly don't think of them as a startup, having owned startups, worked at startups. But given that they have the startup mentality, I guess they're able to pivot quickly or innovate fast. And maybe there's not as many hoops to jump. There's certainly not as many hoops to jump through as I can imagine if you're pushing some product or innovation at Meta, you know, whether it's Instagram or Facebook. So Okay, I can buy into that, I guess. <laughs> um, um, so I I think a great place to end our conversation is just like so our audience can just learn a little bit more from you. I'm sure they've learned a ton already and I just appreciate the time. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned that you can pass along to our audience? This can be influencer marketing related or not. <laughs> For sure. Um, I think sort of, Influencer marketing related and career related, I would say it's sort of maybe one and the same. I think don't be a commodity. I think differentiation leads to distinction. Oftentimes, it's very easy to sort of, I'll I'll go with career-wise first, you know, it's easy to get sort of sucked into established roles. But if you are sort of investing in the next thing, you get to be a big fish in a small pond and grow with it. And then on the influencer marketing front, I think it's sort of the same thing. If you if you think about it, the best way to stand out, I feel, in influencer marketing is to not approach it the way most brands do, which is, you know, they focus on one-offs. They're very transactional. You know, a lot of the work is done without any sort of face-to-face, face-to-face or human touch. And I think when you really take the time to talk to creators early, you know, you can sort of vet and identify who's really interested in this project, who's really passionate about it. And then as you select who to work with, investing a little bit more in that 
personal touch, creating experiences, ideally in real life, and uh, get some FaceTime with them, get their feedback and vice versa. You create something that's really special and relationship driven as much as, you know, the contract, which naturally you need. But it's not it's not a media buy. And I think oftentimes a lot of brands and marketers approach it through the lens of uh, strictly a transaction. And as a result, I don't think you get sort of like that magic that comes from a creator who is really passionate, which, you know, to get people excited about something that, that usually takes you making them feel excited and investing in them and creating experiences for them. And I think when you go about it that way, you get great, great work. I love that. I appreciate that so much. Like, so just, you know, don't fall into that trap of the like transaction after transaction. Like, plus I get, I don't know, more fun, more fulfilling (laughs) to think of it relationship driven. It's just so much more fulfilling that way. So I'm so happy that you could join today. I have a feeling that our audience is probably going to want to get in touch. So when they do, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? For sure. Whatever your platform of choice is, you can probably find me. I'm at Brendan Gann, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-G-A-H-A-N. And um, I just started up a newsletter. So if you go to my website, maybe sign up for that. That'd be awesome. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I'd ask people to go there, actually. Let's start there. And yeah, plug it. Plug it. Yeah. BrendanGann.com. Perfect. And we will link that in the show notes, everyone. Thank you so much for your time, Brennan. Thank you so much for everyone tuning in and we will see you next. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.